I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Liz on the Twitters. And I'm Ben Travers at Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. And we're taking a break from today, uh, from our usual schedule of singing out loud Foreigner in the Office. Thanks, Stranger Things. Thanks for that. 80s are back. Big way. Yeah. Or certainly the song Foreigners, A Girl Like You is back in a big way. Right here in, in the specific office and perhaps nowhere else. Yes. It's got... I Well, other people had to watch Stranger Things. It's probably stuck in their heads, too. Probably. Probably. We do speak for the people. Yes. Uh, but anyways, uh, the topic of discussion today is actually, I, I didn't actually explain this to you, Ben, uh, but it's inspired by, uh, it's inspired by Stranger Things to some degree. Because uh, the, this is, we're referring to the Netflix show as kind of an 80s or horror homage that premiered today, or premiered today, Friday, the day we're recording this. And uh, what was really interesting to me about it, and this this triggered a whole line of thinking uh, based on other shows as well, is the show's a, clearly an homage to Stephen King. Like, it's very much in the Stephen King-like tone. And Stephen King gets mentioned by name at one point in, in, in the series, and that kind of threw me out of it. I was like, wait, so we're in essentially inside a Stephen King world, but Stephen King exists inside the Stephen King world. Yeah. I mean that makes sense to you. It makes sense to me. It did that not, didn't bother it did you. Did not bother me. Okay. I, I was more in line with the with the Spielbergianness of the rest of it. So that was what I was focused on. Okay, fair. But it led me to wonder. Oh God, sorry. sorry I've also been watching a lot of Sex and the City. Um, <laughs> where if you if you if ever if you've never watched that show, just know that every episode carries wonders something. But it reminded me of just of how many how often in TV we see shows make the choice between having real real pop culture, real movies, real TV shows, real celebrities be a part of the world, and then also choosing, but then also sometimes choosing to create fictional versions of these same things. And sometimes it clearly happens for legal reasons. Like, 30 Rock is not going to make direct fun of Jimmy Buffett, but they will create a fake version of Jimmy Buffett fans to kind of poke fun at. And yet they'll bring in Denise Richards to mock Denise Richards. Yes, as Denise Richards as herself. Right. Or, bring in Denise Richards to mock Denise Richards. Yes. I mean, good for Denise Richards, by the way, for being game for that. Absolutely. Yeah. But I mean, what other, for you, Ben, when you're watching stuff, does seeing a real reference or a fake reference ever take you out of it? It, it completely depends on the context. Um, if it's a show where you expect that kind of thing, like 30 Rock, then no, absolutely, it does not take me out. It only adds to the experience. Uh, if it's a show where it just doesn't belong, where you wouldn't expect there to be a reference, like you're talking about with Stranger Things, it's an homage to a lot of different properties, a uh, specific genre, specific time period. So hearing those things listed within it could easily take somebody out of it because it's supposed to be in reference to it. It's supposed to be honoring it. It's not supposed to you know, name check it halfway through. Um, so I can see where that would be a would be a problem, uh, but usually usually I appreciate the pop culture references, and they're starting to be incorporated in more and more often in more and more direct ways. Like meta humor has become well, for for a while now, it's become a pretty big deal, and that often utilizes a lot of kind of uh, references like this. Well, and it's interesting. Well, I think what's what's big about the what's important about pop culture references that are real is 
usually they get included in a you know film or TV show with some with without necessarily some context because they people assume like oh you'll get who this person is. Um, yeah, yeah, like um, I mean, using Thirty Rock again, they 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 often referenced Mickey Rourke and. Uh, <laughs> Jenna's struggles, let's say, with dating Mickey Rourke. And you were just kind of supposed to understand that Mickey Rourke might be somebody who would be an awkward person to date, to put it put to put it politely. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna correct you there, Ben. Um, because Mickey Rourke actually Mickey Rourke was revealed she's never met. Like she was just constantly making up crazy stories about Mickey Rourke. And then finally in like the last episode she admitted, I've never met Mickey Rourke. Well, no, I know that's, but that's not the well, that's not the but, point well, of the but, joke but, but in the context. I, well, in the context, yeah. when they were referencing Mickey Rourke, oh, I see what you're it saying. was the real life reference that yeah, Mickey Rourke has taken a lot of pictures holding na- naked Russian prostitutes, so <laughs> dating him might be a little bit strange. So if you hear that in the TV show, if you're watching Thirty Rock and you don't even know what they're talking about, you're not familiar with Mickey Rourke. You can actually go to your computer, Google Mickey Rourke, and you're going to find a lot of things, and you're going to understand and appreciate that reference doubly the next time it comes up. You know what's funny? I didn't even have like that specific mental reference point with Mickey Rourke. I just kind of, he's, I, I, I have no idea about his dating habits. I just kind of see him as kind of a skeezy dude. So it made sense that he would have like a sex yacht or Let's something. Let's not say that he's a skeezy dude. He's not somebody who'd be on Entourage. He's just somebody who kind of you know, lives you? life in a great way. But Entourage is another fun example of just, like, famous people playing themselves and then also sometimes famous people playing fictional characters. Like, Mandy Moore played herself. Uh, but, oh, God, who was a good example from Entourage? Ben, you know so many things about Entourage. You should be able to help me out here. I mean, I think Peter Berg was on it once. Peter Berg played himself, though. Um, they tended to lean towards famous people playing themselves, but then they also had, like, a fake Harvey Weinstein. That was something that definitely happened. And then they also had a real Harvey Weinstein. Well, you see, with Entourage, it's it's an interesting experiment because you know they're they want you to believe so firmly that this is the world, like that this is the right. the the Hollywood lifestyle. So they have to populate it with famous faces, but in creating that world, they also want to comment on it in some way. And sometimes the commentary isn't going to be as flattering as it's needed when you're going to bring on that celebrity guest. So I'm guessing I don't know, but when they brought on the Harvey Weinstein character, it probably wasn't in a great context. Like he probably wasn't. No, he, he, was not, he was not a great human being. So then it makes sense why they'd have to cast an actor for it. But then you enter into this weird kind of world in which there is a real Harvey Weinstein being referenced. There is a real, there's a bunch of real actors who the real Harvey Weinstein has worked with, but it's not Harvey Weinstein on the show. Right. So it's like a, it's an alternate reality, but one that shares a lot with our own, which I mean, that's kind of a world building thing that a lot of creators have to dig into. This is just on such a kind of strange level that you could toss it aside or you could really embrace it well and I, I think it's and that's kind of the fascinating thing about when about what we've touched on which is the fact that when you create fictional pop culture for your tv show you're creating an alternate reality mm-hmm. um just as real as like if you were on the show fringe um we are picking up some obs- things i was not expecting us to talk about i was not expecting us to talk about fringe nope but Fringe went to all the trouble of, because that show was very much about parallel universes, alternate realities. And in the firmly established alternate reality, um, they could get away with this because the show is produced by Warner Brothers, which owns DC Comics. At one point, you got to see alternate universe versions of classic DC Comics titles. But like, you know, it's like the death of Batman instead of the death of Superman and the, and the, the, 
Man of Steel Returns instead of the Dark Knight Returns. And they had these like they had these mocked up and framed on like a, a wall in, a, in one scene. And see, that goes back to the rights issues. Like they had the access to it, so they took full advantage, which is great. Like right. good for them. That adds an authenticity to it. And that's honestly one of my favorite things about these kind of references. When they're used to establish authenticity within the show, I think that's the best thing about it. Like even Entourage, to some degree, was using it to establish authenticity. Uh, the same could be said for the Americans. They use this with historical events a lot. But there was an episode just last year where they all gathered around to watch, uh, what was the name of it, The Day After on TV, which was a real TV movie that warned of you know what could happen a, after a, a nuclear one. attack. And this was something that everybody shared at the time. And even if, even though I've never seen that movie, I didn't know of its existence until I watched The Americans, watching them watch it and seeing the effects that came out of it for Philip and Elizabeth and how those diverge from each other because of their situations, it really puts you into that place where you could have been sitting there watching it with them and you could be in that mentality. Mad Men was also great with this, you know, throughout the course of its run. Um, so when they do that, I really appreciate those pop culture levels or, or references but, uh, you know, it also works very well with comedies. Like, BoJack Horseman obviously does mm. this all the time. They are also establishing authenticity even in their fake world because by incorporating these real characters in one way or another, whether they're the actual Naomi Watts voiced by Naomi Watts showing up and playing Naomi Watts, uh, you know, whether they're doing that or they're having Quentin Tarantulatino. Tarantulatino. But he's not voiced by Quentin Tarantino. He's not voiced by Quentin Tarantino, but the fact that he's a director and a popular director and you have that background in your head of the real Quentin yes. Tarantino when you're watching it does add an authenticity to this whole new world they've created. So it works really well in that case for, for me. And, I mean, important note with BoJack, we, there's a combination of the best of both worlds. There is a... There, Lance Bass does play himself on BoJack Horseman, but he plays Lance Bass as a bass fish. Right, and um, they did not use uh, Cameron Crowe, right? It wasn't really Cameron Crowe. I don't Crow. think it was really it was, Cameron But it was Crow. Cameron the Raven. And yes. Son. Um, yeah, actually, at that, so I was at a BoJack screening last night for the premiere of season three, and somebody asked a question of why, or if they ever would consider using animals that crossbred. Like like a, a mix of animals, so like a mm. cat who had sex with a dog, and then they produce cat dog. I mean, that, and they that, don't do that. There's a very like Raphael Bob Waxberg was very strict, saying there are rules in place where we do not do that. When they have kids, it's either one or the other. It's like eye color for you know humans. You know, you're either going to get one or the other. You're not going to get a blend of both or whatever that rule is. Anyway, he was very emphatic about that because. When he was creating the world, he was thinking to himself, well, this isn't something new. This isn't like the first year that this world has existed. It's been around forever. So there would have been, we all would have just morphed into some weird versions of animals and we wouldn't have any distinct animals anymore at all. So we just had to make a choice and that was the choice we made and this defines the universe. And in a way, when you make references to something in the real world, you're defining your universe in a very similar way. Right. No, and I think, oh God, I mean, in general, I love what you just said about the world building of BoJack because it is so good in so many respects. Um, but, I mean, I want to kind of flip the question, which is, are there examples in your head of times when you haven't enjoyed it that have been, like, glaring? Oh, yeah, Liz. And I don't have a specific example of this because the memory is just a, a, a vague kind of uh, blur, if you will. But Sports Night bothers oh. the shit out of me because they don't <laughs> reference real people like they make up a lot of their they make yeah, they, they, they make up a ton of their sports people and they do it because Aaron Sorkin doesn't give a shit about sports and it's so clear that he doesn't give a shit about sports and that nobody on the show gives a, gives a shit about sports all that authenticity is pulled from it 
So it's just like, okay, I mean, if you want to write something else, write something else. Don't write about sports. But wait, so the fact that Sports Night was about fictional athletes, they had some they had some mention of real athletes. Some. But, but like not in a not in a strongly authentic context. But how how does that compare to you compare for you to Ballers, which also features fictional athletes? Ballers. <laughs> how about, how can I frame this properly so that it doesn't sound ridiculous? Um, ballers to me, which which earns points back for using like actual NFL property, like they right. use the real uniforms and they get real stuff for players, which astounds me to me falls more into the camp of well we can't use real people because and they do they i think they have chad ochocinco on in the first i think, season. I think like they're they, cameos they, they use some real people so there is kind of a comparison there but like they can't do it if they're going to talk about certain contexts or if they're going to show players smoking pot or if they're going to show players you know having sex with a bunch of different women all in one night like all this lewd behavior that the nfl doesn't want to be associated with they can't use specific players to showcase that anymore they could use retired players so it's kind of like well you know, we can't use uh, Harvey Weinstein in Entourage because we're painting him in a bad picture. We don't want, like, the actual person to be depicted like that. Um, So they make an exception, but they still use real people. With Sports Night, you could tell that whenever they made a reference to a real athlete, it was like, it was dated. Like, it was old. It was something back in the day that Aaron Sorkin remembers, like, a a dad who's who's (laughs) telling his son something important. That the sun doesn't give a shit about because it's not happening now. But the problem was the sports show is supposed to be happening right now. is live breaking sports news. And then, you know, he later on tried to correct it by using real news on the newsroom. And that only kind of worked. But... Did you just say something negative about the newsroom? Well, it, it was it w- that oh, was flawed because it was dated. Like that was flawed because it was like, okay, we know this already. So like the news you're breaking when you use it in context, like for the emotional impact related to the characters, works. But it doesn't work simply for you breaking news because we've all known this for years now. Um, worked much better when he used fake news. He used mu- much better in season two when he did the Genoa Project, and mm-hmm. he was using it to parallel a real story that existed, you know, in the '90s, uh, taking place with Vietnam uh, worst American soldiers in Vietnam who killed people with sarin gas, which was reported by CNN, and then they took that back. So he was applying that into a fake reality of present day and made it matter to these characters. And then you could do the research on your own and look it up, similar to any reference that you get on TV that you don't understand, and you can look up later. So that, anyway, long spiel. Sports night problem was that it lost authenticity because of it. Mm -hmm. Ballers doesn't necessarily lose authenticity because of what it does. Sports night did, and that was damaging, to say the least. It's just so hard to watch that show when it's it's pretending to be about one thing, and it's just, it does not care about it whatsoever. Well, what's, what's fascinating to me about this, by the way, is this explains so much about why I really love sports night and you are not a fan of it the way I am. Because I, I like sports a lot. I like the spirit of sports, but I do not have any sort of depth of knowledge. Like, I don't... Honestly, if you may, if you had me watch an episode, you had me write down all the names of all the athletes mentioned, and you asked me to identify which were real and which were fake without Googling anything, I don't like my odds. Right, and you could make the argument that that... Enhanced the show. Enhanced from- the show for you, but it also just... It, it, it It's false. Like, it's still something where it's pretending to be something that's not. And to me, that was difficult to overcome when the show itself 
was suffering a little bit from early 90s overwriting, like when Sorkin was was still figuring out his dialogue and still you know fitting his pattern to be believable but still poetic, mm-hmm. and it was just a little bit overwhelming. So it's like okay, like it's he's figuring it out. He's figuring out not only how to write the dialogue that he wants to write into what it's become now, and trying to figure out what he wants to write about, and then he you know figured it out with the West Wing. So yeah. good for him. But, but yeah, like that, that authenticity question is definitely one that always gets me with pop culture references. Well, and this is actually a really interesting point because the thing about inventing your own reality, inventing your own sports figures or inventing your own like fictional TV show is you don't have to do any research. You're inventing it. And you're, you know, oftentimes, oftentimes like you're, if you're law and order, you know, ripped from the headlines in it, you know, you're ripping, you're basically basing it on pre-established stuff, but you don't have to fact check it because it's not real, it's fictional. And I feel like, and sometimes I wonder if that's a, if that's a crutch. Oh, absolutely. And see, that's kind of the thing. If you're going to do something where you're building a world, you need to do the background. You can't just throw a reference out there and expect people to accept it for anything without context. But what works with real-life references is they have built-in context for people to appreciate. So then you can do a lot more with less. Right. You know, and I feel like it also – I feel like genre also affects us to some degree. For example, uh, I – this is – I'm not doing this on purpose, I swear. Um, but one of the weirdest pop culture references within a film or TV show I've ever seen is at the very beginning – the very the very near beginning of the original Independence Day, um, and it's a very offhand thing. If you barely hear it, if you're not paying attention, but when Jeff Goldblum's wheeling his bike into the cable co- the cable company like call center, there's a guy sitting up like in the foreground, and he's talking to an annoyed customer, and he's like, "I oh, know, I get it. I love the X Files too," and. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And so because the X-Files fan on the other end of the line was upset because the alien spaceship was keeping them from watching the X-Files. Sure. And for some reason, that really threw me off because it's like, I'm already watching a thing about aliens. I'm not thinking about how people in this fictional universe also watch fictional things about aliens. Like, for some reason, that felt weird to me. Yeah, I, I mean, this bothered me so little that I don't even remember it happening. But right. I think... I think the context here is what matters, and it's it's that in this in this universe where they want you to believe it, it's picking it up in present day. It's picking it up as the movie is being made, so the X Files would exist. Everything exists up until the aliens show up in Independence Day. Basically, right. everything exists up until you start watching the movie, and then you take over the reality of the film. So the fact that he'd be talking about the X Files wouldn't really bother me, especially when it's a phone call. Like just talking, just the point of it being my TV is out. I'm upset. Like ben. help fix it. I know aliens are coming to kill us all, but that is not a priority when my TV isn't working. That is possibly one of the most American complaints I've ever heard. So that it being an Independence Day only makes it better. I'm just so you know saying- what? Great reference, Liz. Excellent job. By oh shit, what's that horrible man? Dean Devlin. Name? Is that who wrote it? Dean Devlin wrote it. It was directed by Roland Emmerich. Yeah, Roland. Yeah. Ugh. Oh. <laughs> Roland. That is so mean. Uh, you haven't seen the sequel yet. That's true, but I will say Dean Devlin does a hell of a job running uh, running the show's leverage and uh, the librarians. So I'm okay with Dean Devlin. No comment. I. Yes. No comment from you about a show. That no I like. comment. 
Oh, man. I mean, it's, I feel like there's another, like, I feel like the other question that always comes up for me is, I, th- I think it's best put by a joke that's from, and again, from 30 Rock, but at one point they're talking about the movie Invictus, and this is late, like, season six, I think. And in talking about the movie Invictus, Tina Fey, to herself, says, man, who played the white guy in that? And, of course, the thing which she's, who she's referring to is Matt Damon, who uh, also plays a guest role on 30 Rock. She played one of Liz's boyfriends uh, for many episodes and was hilarious. Uh, one of, actually, probably one of my favorite Matt Damon roles, to be honest. There are many. I know, but it's it's such a specific like character. They did a really nice job of kind of giving him quirks and making him weird in a Thirty Rockish way. I mean, he was he was basically just Liz Lemon's dream guy up until the the plane brawl. But yes, he was great. Yeah, I liked him a lot. Um, you were supposed to. He was your dream guy. <laughs> well, you're talking saying he was my dream guy. Or by the- proxy, he was by you are you are Liz Lemon when you watch that show. So you sure. are, you have to like this. So guy he was your perfect. he was your dream guy as well. Absolutely. Okay, that was. The Liz thing gets confusing. Understandable. Um, so, yes, in terms of that, uh, but, like, the question of, like, what is real and what isn't? Like, if an actor plays a character in a TV show, does that actor still exist outside of that character? And it gets into, like, this weird metaphysical question that, you know, honestly, I, I don't have a great answer for. Um, but, it, it, I mean, it's it, I think it, when you decide to do, make these choices, it's, it always feels like, there's at times part of me that wants you to commit fully one way or the other. Like, uh, I just saw the movie, the uh, Mike Birbiglia movie, Don't Think Twice, uh, which is coming out in theaters at the, end of the, at the end of the month. And it's, you know, it's a movie, I think if you're listening to this podcast, guys, you're probably going to be interested in seeing it, if only because the cast includes uh, Gillian Jacobs, uh, Keegan-Michael Key, Chris Gethard, Berbilia, of course, uh, Kate Minchu. Oh God, I can never say her name. Uh, but the brunette, the brunette from Garfunkel and Oates, who's very cute. Oh, Kate Mc, Mc-, Mc- Oh shit. <laughs> See, it's we're like bo- Kate McCutcheon, but it's not. It's Mc- like Kate McCucci. Yeah, I know. think there's an I at the end. Yeah. Sorry to Kate Mc- McCucci. Apologies, Kate. Yeah, we, we we do really like you. Absolutely. Um, all the way back to Scrubs. Oh yeah, good call. Um, so, gosh, and there, there's like a, a really interesting cast there. And it's also about like a group of improv performers who all want to be on Weekend, Weekend Live is what it's called. And it's clearly SNL. It's, there's no attempt to pretend it's not SNL. But they keep calling it Weekend Live and they have gone so far as to create a Lorne Michaels analog, but he's not called Lorne, he's named Timothy. But in every other way, it is. This is a show, this is a movie about Saturday Night Live, and Lorne Michaels is a character in it. So, I, I can buy into that. I can buy into that, and I can also buy into people like, like Keegan Michael Key playing an aspiring actor and not being Keegan Michael Key, even though I have such strong connection with him from just watching Key and Peele all these years and many other roles. Um, so all of that's fine. But there are a couple of celebrity cameos that I won't spoil in the movie. And they're both real people playing themselves. And But they're real people playing themselves who are also hosts of Weekend Live. And for some reason, this does a number in my brain. Like, I would be much happier if they were fictional hosts. Oh, see, I wouldn't. I, again, it's, it's, it's almost about 
timing for me because you immediately understand who these people are. The 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 weight that they carry works better. It it like goes back to the player when you know Bruce Willis shows up and Julia Roberts show up and you know exactly what that means. The fact that this is a movie with Bruce Willis and Julia Roberts as opposed to some fictional people that you have to provide all this context for. You have to give all this background so the audience understands the weight and the and the significance of them being in this show and, and or this movie or whatever it is. I mean, you, you need to know that immediately. You need to know that without question, and it's it's just easier that way. I mean, it's easier, but does that make it better? It's easier. It's better because it's easier, yes. Okay, because I feel like, I mean, like the... You're taking up all this time in the script, all this unnecessary background that you'd have to fill in to, to like, like either early in the movie to foreshadow or set up who this person's going to be. You're going to have to spend so much time doing that just so when they do show up, it has that equal weight. You have to work and, and fill in all of this time and space to, to make that functional. I Yeah, I'd much rather them, if they can get a celebrity, put them in there. I mean, what if it's a celebrity who's del- deliberately playing someone, like del- deliberately playing a version of themselves that's awful in some way? That's fine. That happens all the time. Yeah. But you, even even if it, you, it's clearly pushing towards satire? I don't understand the problem. Okay. Or just, it's, you know, you feel like it doesn't, it doesn't like affect their, affect their persona within, within the film. Affect whose persona? The stars? Yeah. Like, I mean... Let's say Bruce Willis comes in, and I don't. I'm, I'm not giving up the good examples here. I'm sorry. Like if, like if Bruce Willis came in as the star of of Weekend Live, right. in, this, in this film, and he was playing an asshole, right? But that well, wouldn't. Affect, I mean, that he wouldn't... literally did this in a movie called What Just Happened, in oh, which yeah. his, uh, Robert De Niro was a producer for the movies, and his star was. One, first Sean Penn and then Bruce Willis. And Bruce Willis threw a, a hissy fit because he wanted to have a beard in the film. And Robert De Niro told him he couldn't because by studio standards, if your star is, has a beard, people don't recognize him. So he's useless. And they're not, why would you pay for that guy if he's if you can't tell who it is? So Bruce Willis comes off horribly in this movie, just like trashing a, a, right. like a clothing room, like a costume department. Um, and no, it doesn't it doesn't bother me at all. It's, it, it, it helps because it almost, by by consciously making him look bad it's like they're they're acknowledging the fact that this isn't quite really bruce willis but you know who it is because we used bruce willis and he's going by the name bruce willis Mm -hmm. so then again we don't have to fill in all this context about creating this fake reality um that's going to take up all this time and 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 distract people and and make you you know try to hopefully attain the same thing that you'd get by using the celebrity instead we're going to cut through the bullshit use the celebrity and make everything easier for the audience to just go along with. Yeah. To be to be clear, I, I, if I'm not correct, if I am if I if, I'm, if I am correct, Robert Downey Jr. is not playing Robert Downey Jr. in the movie. Robert De Niro. Robert De Niro. And no, he's not playing Robert De Niro. He's that's playing right. a producer. He, that's right. Thank you. For some reason, I thought you said Robert Downey Jr. Maybe I did. Okay. Who knows? But he's not in that. We'll check the tape. Yeah. I mean, and this is also it's a good point you're making. It, it, it a good answer to my question, if you will, and. Uh, it makes me think about the how much I wonder how much nuance gets put into the idea of Bruce Willis as Bruce Willis or Bruce Willis as himself. Like the idea of you know, and you see because you see both variations on that credit, and sometimes I feel like it's almost it's seen as interchangeable. But I feel like as a viewer, I do notice, and I it does make a difference to me. Yeah, no, absolutely, I, I completely agree because. 
if if they give them a name, you know, if, if their name is listed next to another name in the credits, then you're going to assume that it's a character. Right. Like, no matter what, it has the implication because that's how everyone's listed. Their character name is what goes next to their real name. If it says himself, then that's that's a reference saying almost like, well, no, 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 this is just really him. Like, this is just a cameo where he was, you know, the, the like being interviewed at the Oscars or something, you know. So, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's an interesting kind of decision that you have to make in that realm. But usually it's for me it's so much better if it's real. Like it just, it just helps. It just cuts through so much of the fodder. Yeah. Um, what's always interesting to me very quickly, cause we've, we've gone a little long, but what's <laughs> always interesting to me about the pop culture references, at least from a writer's standpoint, from somebody who'd worry about this, if they chose to do it, it's timing. Um, if you make a pop culture reference, people may get it in the moment, but then, 10 years down the line, even a year later, people may not understand it anymore. A year from now, um, the people who go back and watch old seasons of Mindy Project and Hamilton, or Mindy Project and Amy Schumer and uh, and Difficult People are going to be very confused about this Hamilton thing. Maybe, right. maybe Okay, maybe more like two or three, maybe give it, okay, 10 years from now. Mm-hmm. People will not understand just how insane people got over the musical and also how why so many TV shows decided to in, include references to it. Or, yeah, specifically references to, you know, how hard it is to get tickets or, you know, the cost of the tickets or, or yeah. the, you know, the importance placed on it, obtaining tickets. Yeah, it's exactly. going to be like hearing a TV reference to rent. But then it, like, then it goes back to the question, okay, so we're using the joke. Why are we using the joke? We're using the joke because we want to elicit this very specific reaction now. Like, we're, we know when this is going to air. We know when people are going to watch it. Um, right now, we think it'll be funny at least for X number of months. And what's interesting is sometimes they, I should have come up with the example before launching into this, but sometimes they'll use one where it's already dated. Like you can tell they shot that, you know, six months ago. And at the time, oh man, that was a really good topical reference to like Taylor Swift's squad. You know, oh. no more. You can't do that anymore. Like I if it shows up on I TV, I can't make references to Taylor Swift's squad. I mean, you can, but it's not topical Aww. anymore. Like it's, it's something that exists. It's something that people would understand, but it's not like... You know, it doesn't, it doesn't seem current. It's right. not like if it was if they did it on Saturday Night Live this week, it's like, oh, my God, what are you doing? Like, right. that's such a dated sketch. Why are you putting it out there? Well, um, but at the same time, there's stuff like Archer, which integrates references to stuff that's you know, centuries old all the way up to now. Like, it's got all those great parodies of, of movies that are, you know, fairly old or, or even fairly new. Um, it's got a lot of references to older actors, but also new actors. It, it references everything. And it references yeah. so many things that you don't understand that you have to look up. And somehow it just works because it's the characters who are making the decision to you. It's Archer and that crew who's deciding to make that reference. And because they've established that rapport of their background being in this, it's like, okay, this works. Yeah, it's actually funny with Archer because so much of so many of those references are driven very much by Adam Reed's personal viewing history. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Which, but it's really important to note that I, I I'd have to check the exact dates on this, and I'd also have to probably confirm it with him. But I've, in a conversation I once had with him, as an aside, he kind of mentioned that he stopped watching TV in like 1994, <laughs> um, which is why you'll never see like an. Like, you, you won't see an X-Files reference on Archer, probably, um, unless somebody else puts it in. 
Right, because otherwise it'd be right in there. It'd be Archer to X Files. Well, no, it's more of a. I mean, one that, that was it was one example. I know, I know. Yeah, but uh, to make it somewhat topical, one of my favorite Archer pop culture references was when he said, uh, "Karate is the Dane Cook of martial arts." Uh. <laughs> and considering today's news, uh, uh. Friday's news, when you're listening to this on Monday or whenever, uh, that Dane Cook has joined the cast of American Gods. I find that hysterical. Well, I mean, referencing the fact that Dane Dane Cook is kind of a douche is... That's that's a universal, eternal thing. We'll still be talking about that 30 years from now. See, I don't think so. I think it's a generational thing, so maybe we will be. Okay. But, like, when other people watch that show, when even, like, uh, uh, I have a buddy who named his son Archer. And, I mean, it's wow. not necessarily just Wha- because of the TV show Archer, but wow. the connection was obviously there. When he When Archer watches Archer... I don't think he's going to understand that joke. And he might Google it, but it's not the easiest thing to Google and realize, oh, this guy was a dick. I mean, yes. I mean, I think that speaks to, you know, a lot of, I think, for some reason, Bojack, I think, does a nice job of this, of, like, making sure that it's, t- you, you think some of its references are, okay. Bojack Andrew- made a, makes a joke in the season three premiere about Judd Apatow's lengthy third acts. Right, that's true. I mean, it that's something that has lasted now for over a decade. Right. So it's pretty well known, but at the same time, it's also something that could even be seen as being dated already, if not soon to be. So right. it's and it, I, it's similarly something that people might struggle to understand later down the line. There's also a great uh, serial podcast joke. Oh god, and that's um, that and that's so you think that feel dated now. I don't know if that one's dated now because that's still such a thing that people cling to, but you know, I don't. Th- I think it's going to be passed over very quickly by you know five years from now when people are watching it, which I can only imagine people will still be doing because BoJack is that good. What, what, what we're going to need in the future is we're basically going to need a pop-up video style uh, style like overlays. Which if you've ever actually used Amazon Video, like they're already kind of there. Yeah. They have like uh, you know you pause anything you're watching on Amazon Video and it tells you who's on screen right now and it sometimes it'll pull up random facts and mistakes. Yeah, if they could tie that into the captioning somehow and provide, but see, like that's the tricky part too. It's like, well, they'd have to program it specifically for each episode on each show. Yeah. Because if they just like you know linked to the wiki page of so and so, like it wouldn't pull up that Dane Cook is a it dick. Would, it would it have... wouldn't pull up you know it would pull up what serial is, but it wouldn't pull up. Uh, you know, that Judd Apatow is notorious for writing things too long. Yeah. No, you'd want it to be annotated. You, no. you remember, have to be. Speaking have to be of pop curated. culture references, do you remember pop-up video? Oh, of course. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, like, I mean, that, that style of that style of uh, commentary mm-hmm. would be very valuable. Yeah. Um, but the important thing is that, I mean, I don't think there's any one, there's no one right or wrong way to do them pop culture references. And I feel like sometimes they do add a lot, but I think they also, it, I think, like, Kind of in conclusion, like, I think the big thing is, you know, when you, if, making sure the show works if you don't get the reference. Like, if you, if you, if it's not, if it's essential to understanding a joke and it's a big joke, like, that can, that can damage a show. Uh, I don't, I don't know if I'd go that far. Like, again, with Bojack, so many of the jokes are pop culture references and so dependent on the fact that you understand them in some way. Archer, similarly so. Um, you definitely can appreciate the drama. You can appreciate the arc of what's happening, like just the general story. Um, I think for me, if you're going to make a general rule about pop culture jokes, it's just you can't be lazy about it. 
Like you have to really think it through when you're going to include it and understand why you're including it. Like for again, for Bojack, the reason it works is because it adds authenticity to that world. It adds things where it's like we're living in Hollywood. We should be talking about these things. Like these, that's what these people would be talking about. Right. So it works on that level. And if you don't understand it, you're probably not going to like the show anyway. So maybe they just identify with their audience. They thought it through. They made that decision. Um, you know, with Mindy Project, it's like <laughs> they're they're throwing them in. They're not really necessary, so you're right. Like in that context, it's it's the show's going to be fine. They're just not going to like that one joke, or they're not going to get right. that one joke, so it'll survive. But in an in an age when you've only got 22 minutes, and there's more and more jokes for comedies, at least getting packed into, you know, each second, then uh, you've really got to maximize your time. Yeah, I'm just saying uh, the Mindy Project episode, which involves an entire subplot about them going to see Hamilton. Yeah. that's going to struggle. Well, sure. And again, like that's one where it's like, I don't know if they thought it through. Yeah. But, you know, it's still fun. Like it, every time you, I feel like it's always like kind of like a pop quiz. Like once you, when, when, you know, if you're watching something, like when I'm watching difficult people, I'm like, I feel really good about myself if, if I understand 95% of the references. The only other thing that I'll add to this general topic, which might be a good way to say out of it, is yes. that uh, a lot of them, it feels a little bit, even from somebody who is obviously devoted to TV and loves TV and, and all pop culture. Um, well, not all, but most. Um, it does sometimes feel like we're eating our own tail. Like it feels like it's something that's only funny to the people inside this little bubble. And so many other people watch TV. We're not making TV for them anymore. It's like we're only making TV for us. Well, there's we're, it's certainly the TV that's being made for us is the TV we tend to watch the most. Yeah, and then but, we're promoting that over stuff that maybe connects with a broader audience. Fair enough. Yeah, but I mean, at the end of the day, if it's a, if it's got a good story and a good cast, you know, it can survive a lot of things. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm just mean like I mean, if if the if the, even the TV that's made for us, like it can it can be appealing to other people. Oh well, yeah, yeah. If, of if it's got if it's got a good if it's got good bones. Well, yeah, and I think I mean, but it's 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 interesting to me how many shows exist and are wholly dependent on that idea. And right. there, I mean, there is a large group of people out there, and you know, it could be the same rule applying to like film. Like a lot of movies succeed based on the fact that they know a lot of people just go to the movies every week, and they're reliant on those people to choose this specific film. So they're appealing to a, an audience that already exists. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I, I think of a show like Episodes. I mean. You've got to love Matt LeBlanc to love episodes. That is true. Like, and and that's not faulting the show at all because it is a brilliant show and LeBlanc is brilliant in it. Um, but if you do not have a friend's background and you do not know about Joey, you're going to miss so much on that show. And, and honestly, you might not even find LeBlanc to be as funny as he is or at least the jokes that he's written to to be as funny as he is because you don't understand the persona that's been out there. But I, I don't know. There's... I feel like there's a lot of examples like this, and uh, I wonder if that's part of peak TV. I wonder if that's part of something that will start to fade away over time. We should make a new rule that whenever one of us utters the phrase peak TV, we have to end the podcast. You should just do a shot. I think that's probably better. That's probably better. Um, but we, we, we don't have our whiskey handy yet, so uh, in the meantime, then, right. what's the best thing you watched on TV last week? Um, the best thing I watched on TV last week was BoJack, but I've already talked about BoJack, so I'm going to give a quick shout-out to the Vice Principal's pilot. I thought the Vice Principal's pilot slash episode one, because I believe it was ordered straight to series, yeah, right? basically. Yeah. So it's not really a pilot. Um, but that first episode is great. The turn is great. 
the acting is great. Goggins is great. The setup is great. Like, it seems like it's right in line. And I have seen now four episodes after that, it doesn't quite pay off. It never quite reaches the peak that the that the first episode reaches. But, you know, if you missed it last night, guys, go to HBO Now, catch that first episode. It's great. Yes. And Goggins. Goggins. Goggins forever. Yes. If you're not, if you watch the show, if only just for Goggins. This yes. is uh, this is uh, the newest series from Jody Hill and uh, David Danny, Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and Danny McBride uh, about vice principals. Yeah, if you like Eastbound and Down, you're going to enjoy this. It's not quite on that level, but it's, uh, I mean, Goggins, man, Goggins. Goggins. And shout out to the editing direction. Like everything about the pace of the show helps it so much. Like mm-hmm. it really, really keeps it moving and it's it's very admirable what they've done on a technical level for that show yeah um but liz kicking back to you what's something that people should watch maybe more than one episode of oh you don't have one no is one episode no i i i I was just here's what i was i'm prepared to here's what i'm prepared to discuss i'm prepared (laughs) to discuss the outlander season finale oh um which i watched last week and i yeah and that show, I've, I've always kind of been back and forth to that show, largely because I feel like it shifts so much in terms of what kind of show it is. Like sometimes so it goes from being like a period, like, uh, you know, what's the term, like a chamber drama to then like all of a sudden it's a war show. And then like it's it, then it gets reminds you that it's actually about time travel. And the season finale was very time travel-y, really set up, not only cleaned up a lot of the storylines from the previous two seasons, but set up like season three, which I'm now really excited about seeing. And it also really emotionally, like, you know, it, it, in, in the long run, this is a show about Jamie and Claire and it, that the finale really brought that home. So Liz, you're saying that, uh, one of the better episodes of Outlander slash maybe most of the episodes that you like are a little more time traveling. They have a little bit more time travel, maybe? Yeah, yeah. Oh. You know what? It might be like I started watching the show because I thought wanted to watch a time travel drama. Mm, interesting. And yeah. Yeah, interesting. I, I don't think anyone's going to be shocked by this news, Ben. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you're, like, really ripping the ripping open the lid. Breaking the news. Big... <laughs> Liz Shannon Miller likes time travel. What? What? Say what? Get out of here. I know. It's a shocker. Um, but it even if you don't like time travel, it's still a really well-executed show. Definitely. I know. And during our last podcast, I was really hoping for it to do some work, uh, do, get some Emmy nom- recognition for nope. Below the Line. It did. Yeah. It got production design and costumes. Yeah. It, which is exactly the things it deserved Emmy nominations for. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't looking for writing, Ben. I was looking for costumes and production design. We have had this argument literally throughout the course of season two in which you are watching Outlander and you talk to me about Outlander and I am somewhat dismissive of it. And then you get angry. And then other weeks you get kind of, you're just kind of like, yeah, you're right. And that is your roller roller coaster ride on Outlander, which I somehow invested in simply because I'm sitting next to you watching it. And then when you reference it, sometimes I'm made to feel bad for dismissing it. And sometimes I'm made to feel accurate. Yeah. No, it's, you know, the important thing is that I'm, you never feel good about yourself when I watch Outlander. I I mean, in general, really. Yes. But specifically Outlander. Specifically, specifically the star show. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, honestly, Liz, I am looking forward to anything and everything I'm about to see at Comic-Con next week. You've, you're, you're, we're both signed up for a fair amount of stuff. We are going to see a lot. We're yes. going to see some things. And uh, I I mean, 
Archer usually cooks something up special. Excited for that. Bob's Burgers will have something going on. Excited for that. Uh, there's a couple movies I'm going to watch for the film team, uh, which I'm, one, dreading, and two, very excited for. Um, one of the movies he's dreading, one of them he's very excited for. Exactly. Um, you'll find out later. But, uh, I mean, it's it, you're, when you go to Comic-Con, you kind of got to just throw yourself into the beast and trust you're going to see something cool. And that could be on the convention floor. That could be with the costumes that people are walking around in. It could be in the footage, you know, within Hall H or wherever you're going to be. But you're going to see something, and it's going to it's going to add up to being worth it because it's an experience. And um, IndieWire will be all over that experience starting next Wednesday uh, or Wednesday of this week, as you're listening to this. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah check ready. out you you the social medias will be a flutter with our updates and so forth. Yeah, I mean, and Kate Erbland is still going to be covering Star Wars. Then, how long is the Star Wars thing going? The Star Wars thing is, is done, and I believe she I believe she's back on Monday. But yes, oh, okay. right. If you are listening to this on Monday, uh, go go read back through Kate Erbland's uh, Twitter feed. Uh, you know, there's plenty of Star Wars stuff uh, there to entertain you. Yeah, she's already launched a, a ton of content on our Instagram page, and I mean, it's. It's pretty cool stuff. So, like, well, starting with that as, I don't want to call it an appetizer because, frankly, it feels like a main course, but then you're going to kick into Comic-Con, you know, days after. There, so. there, here, there are crazy people out there who are going to go from Star Wars, going to go from yeah. Star Wars to Comic-Con, and then to TCAs, which start the week following, and then I believe D23, which is the convention that covers all of Disney's other stuff, is the week after TCAs. So that's, like, five weeks of... Well, that. Well, we got to put it into context. Star Wars is in London. Yes. And then Comic-Con is in San Diego. Right. I don't know where D3 is. D23 happens in Anaheim. Anaheim. Okay, so like after, if you get to San Diego, you're going to be okay. Like come on up to LA, you know, for TCAs and then shoot down to Anaheim for a bit. But really just going from freaking London to San Diego uh, for these giant, stressful, crowded conventions, that would be, um, that'd be a couple weeks of your life. Yep. And a Godspeed to our fellow friends who are doing that. Exactly. Um, but Liz, what are you looking forward to, perhaps outside of San Diego? Uh, well, I was originally. I have two things I'm looking forward to. Cheater. Well, technically, well, I was only going to do one, and then you mentioned Comic Con, and I was going to mention that. I mean, this it's a weird it's a weird time in my life to admit like oh, I guess I'll go to the Star Trek Beyond premiere. I guess I'll do that. Sure, that seems like fun. I, I, I've been asked to attend this for us, and so I'm going to go to the Star Trek Beyond premiere, and I should not be talking about it like that. I should be, this is how I should be talking about it. Oh my God, I'm gonna go to the Star Trek Beyond premiere. This is really exciting. And it is kind of exciting. It's just a lot. Uh, hate mail can be addressed to <laughs> Liz at IndieWire.com. That's L-I-Z at IndieWire.com. Yes, I, I I deserve your hate. It's true. No, at least your jealousy. Jealousy yes. formed into hate. I mean, it's it, it's 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 all work. <laughs> <laughs> There's no fun in Star Trek, guys. I'm over it. Like I just need a nap. <laughs> I do need a nap. I hear you. Um, but instead of a nap, uh, instead of a nap, I will also mention that uh, we we all have screeners now for the first episode of Better Things, which is the upcoming FX series starring pa- Pamela Adlon and executive produced by uh, Louis C.K. And Ben has a very happy look on his face because he loves Pamela Adlon. I love you, Pamela. You're the best. Can't I'm, wait for Better Things. I'm very excited to watch it as well, just to see what it is. Like I feel like it's nice. 
FX doesn't have a lot of female creators, and it's nice. And it's nice to see uh, see see that kind of step up a little bit, for, at the very least. Also, the show could be really good. Do they have any? I don't think they have any. They gotta have one. Do they? They have Pamela Adlin. Uh oh. Wow. I, I got. I'm sorry for the dead air, guys. I'm yeah, really, I we're really trying to figure out if we, if we if we can't remember. I mean, uh, Nina Jacobson was an executive producer on People vs. OJ Simpson. That's something. That's something, I guess. Yeah. Um. Yeah. We'll we'll dig into that one a little bit more for you guys, because uh, that's an interesting thing we just realized. I got nothing. Yeah. Well, and when we when we figure it out, we'll post our results on IndieWire.com, where you can also read reviews and interviews, features, all sorts of fun stuff. And it's going to get super nerdy for the next two weeks. So enjoy. Yes. And please listen to Screen Talk podcast with our own Eric Cohn and Ann Thompson. Um, I mean, guys, they're going to be hitting the film circuit pretty hard over the next few months, years, etc. They've done 100 plus episodes. Very good at what they do. Um I don't know what's the big film. I mean, Star Trek's pretty big, but I feel like there's... Is there anything else We've got, big? There's Star Trek. There's Jason Bourne. Yeah, Bourne. That'll be a good one to talk about. I'm not sure what's coming up in the indie world. I, I mean, know. well, in the indie world, basically, August kicks off... Uh, award season for film kicks off, essentially, with Telluride, Telluride in Toronto, and those start in August. So we'll have that to look forward to. Yeah. Do they? Uh, Toronto, September. Okay. Telluride might be the end of August. Yeah. Okay, uh, that sounds right. Whatever. It's coming. It's listen coming. up, guys. Just listen to them. They're they'll, great They'll people. explain you. They'll yeah, tell you. They know things. Don't listen to us. We don't know anything. Yeah. Um, Wait, I take that back. <laughs> we know a few things. Uh, for, exact, for example, uh, I know that Ben's uh, Twitter handle is Ben T. Travers. And I know that Lizlet's Twitter handle is L-I-Z-I-T. No. It's Lizlet with an I. Two I's. It's no. Lizlet with two e- E's. No. I don't know anything. This is why. I, see, just listen to Liz, guys. Don't trust me at all. L-I-Z-L-E-T. There it is. Yep. Uh, we'll be back next week. And as always, you guys, keep watching television. 